Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let me start with college football. So college football week one officially underway. We had week zero and then officially week one. And it was a wild, wild weekend. Like what it was, was the first full capacity college football weekend since December of 2019. So you knew there'd be a ton of energy. You know, we'd have a little bit of everything. Enter Sandman at Virginia Tech. Jump around at Camp Randall. Sorry about that, Wisco. Man, tough. Tough start. Just got to tip your hat to Penn State. Meantime, small schools were jumping up to punch big schools in the mouth. Ed Orgeron got some humble pie jammed right down his throat. There was an incredible scene in Tallahassee. And we had the most predictable thing ever, too. All of these things happened over the weekend. You had Montana rising up and shocking number 20 Washington 13-7. You had Tulane going on the road to play a home game in Norman and giving the number two Sooners all they can handle. Number seven Iowa State just did get by Northern Iowa 16-10. And then, of course, you had Fordham, Nebraska. And I said earlier in the week that I couldn't believe I had to say it but that Fordham was an absolute must-win game for the Huskers. I couldn't believe that I had to say it, but I had to say it, and I meant it. And then Fordham did this. Kokosoulis has brought the Rams to within an extra point of tying the game on the road early in the second quarter. Seriously, Husker fan, don't tell me you were not losing your mind at that. Nebraska tied with Fordham in the second quarter. Don't tell me you weren't gripping when that happened. Don't even act like you weren't because you know you were and you had every reason to be. After losing at Illinois in Brett Bielema's game, I know you were in full-blown panic mode when the Rams marched 75 yards down the field to tie it up in Lincoln. I mean, one thing to lose to a Big Ten team in their place, but the Fordham Rams coming into your place and being tied in the second quarter? Get the hell out of here with that. You had to be freaking out. Did you even know that Fordham had a football team? Did you even know that Fordham was an actual school? Do you even know where Fordham is? I know Rit doesn't. Hey, Rit, didn't you go 0 for 4 when you opened up your account again? Sorry about that, old man. This is why I never ask for your opinion on gambling, Rit. This is why I never asked for your opinion on anything, Rit, other than sugar. Anyway, here you go, Mr. President. What that was, was a red alert battle station DEFCON 1. No, DEFCON 0 situation. Zero point. They were tied with Fordham at home in the second quarter. Of course, Nebraska did go on to rip off 45 straight points, and they took care of their business, but that doesn't mean that you weren't scared. I know you were. I was scared for you because I didn't want to see what life would be like in Lincoln if Nebraska lost to Fordham. Luckily, that's not what happened. Then you have LSU at UCLA, the number 16 Tigers, rolling into the Rose Bowl, and you know they were feeling really good. Really, really good. How do I know that? Because Ed Orgeron was jawing with fans and saying things like this. Get 
sorry, you little sissy blue shirt. I mean, like, I'm all in favor of talking junk. But if you are the head coach, I'm not sure you want to get hooked by the fans, nor be shouting things like, quote, bring your ass on in your sissy blue shirt. Can I hear that one more time, Alvin? Bring your ass on in your little sissy blue shirt. Your little sissy blue shirt. Yeah, I don't know if you want me doing that. I mean, I know Big Ed's a little bit different. But you probably don't want to be shouting, bring your ass on in your little sissy blue shirt. Bring your ass on in your little sissy blue shirt. You don't want to do that, but you especially do not want to do that and then get your ass kicked up and down the field. It does not take a rocket scientist to know that probably at this point you want to drop that word from your vocab. There's no need for it for so many different reasons. But talking junk about the shade of blue another team wears and then watching that shade of blue run all over you and break your face. Now that's something. Talking about colors and getting smashed up 38-27 is pretty remarkable. Because the guys rocking the blue jerseys just kicked your ass up and down the field. I mean, come on, Ed. You're better than that. At least I thought you were. You won a national championship like five minutes ago. But you're out here acting like a five-year-old calling the other guy a sissy. A sissy who just manhandled your ass. Averaging better than seven yards per carry on the ground and holding your team to less than 50 yards rushing. In other words... In the words of the late, great Pat Tillman, that was a nice, swift ass-kicking. Nice, swift ass-kicking. Did UCLA administer to you? Running some of the worst smack ever, then getting hospital-jobbed is one of the worst looks ever. Man, what a great win for UCLA and for Chip Kelly and for the entire conference. Honestly, while I didn't necessarily expect UCLA to break LSU's face, I did expect something good from them. I knew it when Chip Kelly was on this program last week. That was the old chipper. Upbeat, confident. I had not had a conversation like that with Chip in a few years. So I knew that he was feeling good about what he had. Again, what a nice win for Chip and UCLA. And what a terrible loss for LSU. Coach O has now lost six of his last 11 games and given up more than 34 points in four of those games. UCLA's football team dominated LSU, and then they partied in their locker room, and then they changed the header of their Twitter page to an image of a blue shirt that read Sissy Blue across the front of it. Bring your ass on your little sissy blue shirt. And then tweeted out, peep the header. That's incredible. I mean, that is good. Really strong. As long as we're talking about incredible, you're not going to find a better moment than Mackenzie Milton coming into the game for FSU and leading them all the way back to tying Notre Dame and sending that game to overtime. Unless, of course, you hit Notre Dame minus five and a half. And even that, it's still an amazing story. Is that what you did too, Rit? Did you have Notre Dame? Yeah, I figured. If you don't know Milton's story, here's a brief summary. Dude nearly lost his leg. That's the story. That's the summary. A Heisman contender at UCF before suffering one of the most grotesque injuries you will ever see. In November 2018, he suffered a dislocated knee, torn ligaments, nerve damage, and artery damage. I repeat, nearly lost his leg. 
I mean, not nearly lost his career, nearly lost his leg. He was told that he'd be lucky to walk again without pain and that football was pretty much out of the question. Yet there he was, entering the game with the starting quarterback lost because his helmet came off. And then Milton comes in and doesn't do anything except this. Mackenzie Milton is going to come onto the field. Two years away from football, recovering from the devastating knee injury after his amazing career at UCF. Transferred here, one of the most incredible comeback stories that the sport has seen. And now he comes into the game here. Mackenzie Milton to pass. Welcome back to college football, Mackenzie Milton. I mean, what an amazing, amazing moment. And then even more amazing, he did not leave the game after that play. He stayed in. He led the Knowles on a TD drive and then on a game-tying drive the next time out. Like, the most Hollywood thing ever. The guy coming off the bench, having not played a game in more than 1,000 days, and getting his team in a position to upset a top-10 team in the first game after Bobby Bowden's passing. I mean, it was all right there. That script was writing itself until Notre Dame somehow dug in in and won an overtime. Honestly, I don't even care. I'm normally the ultimate scoreboard guy, but that moment Sunday night was one of the biggest goosebump moments you're ever going to see. I mean, really inspiring stuff. Really awesome stuff. The kind of moment that feels like only college football can bring you. But then there's the other side of what college football can bring you. The other side being Alabama. Relentlessly Alabama. I mean, look at these guys. They lose Mac Jones to the Patriots. They lose the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, to the Eagles. They lose Najee Harris to the Steelers. Three of the top five in last year's Heisman voting. And that's just the start. There's no Jalen Waddell. The best center in college football is gone. So is the Outland Trophy winner, Alex Leatherwood. And by the way, so is the offensive coordinator. I mean, that is so much talent. So much talent and so much experience to lose. Nobody loses that kind of talent. That kind of continuity without taking a step back. Not even Bama, right? Not even Bama. So you got to think coming in, they're going to be vulnerable against number 14, Miami. Even if Miami QB, De'Ara King, was not 100%, right? Got to be vulnerable. You had to be looking at that, and especially all those points and thinking, man, I'll tell you what, I'm looking at the Canes because Bama is vulnerable, right? Wrong. Wrong. You know why? Because these dudes and this program... And that head bitterman, the coach, they never, ever take a step back. Never. Not under the machine that is one Nicholas Lou Saban Jr. Number one, Bama, 44. Number 14, Miami, 13. Bryce Young, 344 yards, four TDs in his first career start. How many times do you see this with Bama? Guys that would start anywhere else early on just wait and wait and wait and buy their time. And I'm just being the quarterback. And then when they finally get the opportunity, just lights out. The offense had 501 total yards. They were so good, they made Bill O'Brien look good. That's not easy. You know how tough that is? 
And do you know how predictable that is as well? Like, I don't want to say the season is over before the season even starts, but if Bama is beating an alleged top 15 team by 31 in their first game with all the talent they lost, what chance does anybody else have? Yes, it's only one game. But all I need is that one game to know that it is Bama and everybody else pretty much per usual. I mean, Miami, even with a quarterback at full health, that wouldn't have mattered. Miami could have had Bernie Kosar, Clinton Portis, Frank Gore, Andre Johnson, Ed Reed, my man Tez Kennedy, Ray Lewis, Jeremy Shockey. And Alabama still, Michael Irvin, Alabama still wins that game by a touchdown or two. That don't mean those guys now in their 40s. I mean those guys in their prime. Yeah, sure, Rome, if they had all of them, they'd probably win by three touchdowns. Those guys are 50 now. No, I mean when they were still there. So let's take a moment to talk about WinBet, the latest and greatest sports betting app on the market. The same five-star hotel service that you know and love is now in the digital betting space, providing an elite sports book and digital casino app. Whether you're playing money lines, totals, props, futures, boosted parlays, or even live betting, WinBet has you covered. Are you looking for football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, MMA, boxing, tennis, golf, and more? It's all right there in your WinBet app. Listing in Michigan, or New Jersey. Try your hand inside WinBet's digital casino. All your favorite games from the casino floor are now in the palm of your hand. WinBet is also fully integrated with Win Rewards. That means by playing WinBet, you can accrue points to earn free credit in-app and comp dollars towards perks at Win Resorts, discounted hotel stays, priority and entertainment, free merch, It really is the finest loyalty program in the industry. Call it a win-win. Whether playing from your phone or your computer, you've absolutely got to sign up for the WinBet app. Whether playing from your phone or your computer, you've absolutely got to sign up for WinBet ASAP. Bet with the best. Get into the game. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You've got to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. As promised, though, we are joined right now by a wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, a pro bowler, 97 receptions, 831 yards, 9 TDs last season, top 10 in receptions and receiving TDs last year. He was a two-time all-conference player at USC. He was the 62nd pick overall in 2017. He appears courtesy of Snickers. And the Snickers Rookie Mistake of the Year program, Juju Smith-Schuster is my guest. Juju, good to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, me too. Good to have you back. All right, so you're five days away from the season opener against the Bills in Buffalo. When you consider what you went through last season with a limited number of fans, how eager are you to get back in front of the fans and feel that energy and that juice once again? Oh, man, I'm super excited. I can't wait, uh, especially playing against a team that we played against last year uh, early in the season for week one. You know, we're playing against the Bills, and uh, the, the best part about it is that it's Bill Mafia, and they're going to be out there heavy, deep, and ready to just embrace all that. Juju Smith-Schuster, my guest. You know the Mafia will be there for it. Listen, you signed a one-year deal with Pittsburgh early in the offseason. I'm curious, what was that process like for you, and then what's your approach going into this season? Uh, the free agency process is house. It's not fun. I think it's it's tough. You know, I think it was uh, when 
the market the way it was and uh, how, how it was situated, it, it was tough. But at the end of the day, you know, I got I, I got to experience it. I'm happy to be back in Pittsburgh. I'm happy to play, you know, in a one-year deal. I'm happy to be going to another contract year. And hopefully, you know, I'm able to stay for more years as a Steelers. But uh, going into the season, man, I'm just focused on just balling and hopefully I take care of itself on the end. You know, and I get that. The market was strange. It was weird. Like, the Ravens made a really strong push for you, and so did Kansas City. I mean, how close did you come to leaving, and ultimately, what made you want to stay with the Steelers? Uh, I was pretty, I was pretty close to leaving. Um, I was weighing my options, uh, you know, le- leaning towards the Ravens, leaning towards KC and what they were offering. Um, but for myself, you know, I, I kind of saw it as a uh, more so like, hey, if I can do a one-year deal, I come back to a, a team I know, the head coach I know, the receiver coach I know. Um, and being able to have Ben come back uh, was a big factor for me. So the fact that Ben came back uh, made a huge decision for me to stay. Juju Smith-Schuster joining us. And, of course, you want to bet on yourself. Always bet on yourself. Now, you mentioned Ben. What about Ben? Going into training camp, there's a lot of talk about Ben, how he looked. How has he looked to you, and what kind of a season are you expecting from him? Oh, man, he, he, he looked great, man. Uh, I was just telling everybody that, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he's been, you know, working on the sideline. You know, when the offense is taking a break, uh, he's out there, you know, doing extra cardio. Uh, man, you saw you saw him play against Detroit, uh, took two drives down the field and put points on the board. Uh, and I'm super excited because um, I, think, I think this is our best year yet. You know, I think we're going into this one knowing that we have uh, the guys that we have, the guys that we drafted, you know, for this offense. And I can't wait to play. Juju Smith-Schuster is joining us. You know, it seems like it was yesterday or five minutes ago that you were the young guy coming in. Now you look around that receiver room. You've got a lot of talent in that room. How good is the group, and what's it mean to you to be the leader of that room? Uh, the group is really good. I mean, you talk about uh, uh, five guys that came back from last year who played with uh, with Ben and this offense. So we, we we know we we know the chemistry. We know we can we're made of. Uh, but it's weird, man. You say I'm the young guy in the group. Uh, I'm probably the second oldest though, still in in the room. I know Deontay's older than me, James is older than me, Chase is 22, I'm 24. So uh, if you go off experience, obviously I have that over them, but it's, it's it still feels weird. But at the end of the day, those are my guys, and uh, I'm happy to lead them. It is crazy, you know, Juju. You're showing up like I would expect. I mean, this the thing I've always liked and respected about you is your approach from the outside. It seems like you're just doing things that are fun and entertaining, and they're not getting in the way of what you have to do. You're handling your business, but probably making it even better from a business standpoint. So how would you describe your approach to life off the field? Yeah, man, so I'm setting up everything I can possibly now. You know, why am I, you know, I would tell everybody, you know, when you're at your highest point in your life, uh, you know, take advantage of it, uh, embrace it. start things that you want to do after football. And for myself, you know, I've been doing that. And I always look at it as like, you know, you can always be yourself, your personality. As long as you take care of stuff all on the field, everything off the field will take care of itself. And uh, that's what I've been doing. That's my motto that I live by. And um, it's going pretty well, man. So I can't complain. You know, you look at the NFL, right? The NFL is still the biggest thing in the world. Still the biggest thing in the world. But for I wonder, sure. do you think that more players should maybe do some of the stuff that you do, like on Twitch or YouTube or social media? Would that bring even more fans to the game? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, when I go out in public, like I have people come up to me because I 
stream on Twitch are because I do YouTube and they don't really know me as a football player, you know, and that's very surprising because, you know, I dip my hand in other, you know, aspects of life, you know, not just football itself. Of course, football is the mainstream that got me to where I'm at, you know, made me who I am. But at the end of the day, football doesn't last very long. Um, I mean, the average span for football players is two and a half years, three and a half years. So uh, myself, you know, me going on year five and still performing, I can perform and still make, uh, still do things off the field and, and show my personality uh, without a helmet on my head. Uh, man, people love it. They embrace it. Juju Smith-Schuster joining us. Part of the reason why you are going into the fifth year that you are and are at the high level is the work that you do do. For instance, I saw a video earlier in the offseason, and it was a day in your life, starting with your workouts at the gym. What kind of workouts were you doing in the offseason, and what were your priorities for this offseason when it came to workouts? Uh, man, it came to workout. Uh, obviously, I was doing a lot of cardio, a lot, a lot of cardio. Uh, you know, being in L.A., being around, you know, my – uh, my coach, uh, Mr. Kelly, uh, we did a lot of CrossFit, a lot of stuff to get the body going. And little, little individual things is, as far as, like, muscles and taking care of the body, prepare myself for the season, uh, and obviously just eating right. Uh, but I think going into this season, I think what I'm super excited about is, uh, you know, being able to prove people wrong, you know, not, not as a team, but as an individual player saying that, hey, I'm playing outside, I'm playing inside, I'm moving around, I can do this, I can do that. And I just embrace all of it because, you know, I, I just I just love, I just love the heat. You know, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that. The fact of the matter is, you are one of the rare guys who can play inside and outside. There's a limited number of receivers that can do that at an elite level. What's it take to be able to play both inside and outside at that high of a level the way you do? I think the best. I think I mean uh, physically, I think a lot of people could do it, but mentally, it's it's tough. Like when you play inside. There's so much more you have to think about as far as like the amount of seconds of like you lining up your alignment where they're lined up at and like the defense that they're calling and being able to run option routes stuff like that. That's what the inside like it's you have to think more uh, outside. I would say you you think more you think too, but it's like you kind of already got a set inside where it's kind of crowded where you have so much field and so much like awareness you have to use. And I'm able to do both, you know. But I've been able I've, I've been doing it. Uh, so it's, it's just, just going to keep showing it. And, uh, right. I just get so, smarter every time. Right. Sorry to jump in there, Juju. You are working with Snickers. I'm going to hit you on that in one second. But just one more thing I want to ask you about. Jake Paul recently said, quote, if I could fight any current NFL player, I'd probably fight Juju Smith-Schuster. Go Browns, end of quote. What was your reaction when you heard that? And does that interest you on any level? Man, if I wasn't in a contract, that, I definitely would take the fight on. Uh, that's something that... Uh, it does, it does interest me. Uh, Jake Paul is, uh, uh, a guy that, you know, obviously he's doing great for himself. I, I, I me personally, if, uh, Jake Paul, I would say I have respect because what he is doing is unheard of and for him to be a YouTuber and what he's doing now is, 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 is insane. And Hey, good for him. But if I ever get the opportunity to do that outside of my football contract, for sure. Yes, how do you, sir. How, dude, how do you think that would go if that ever went down? Oh, I, I, I think, I think, I think it'd be great. I think, I think we make a lot. I think, as far as like as fighting go, I will have to train. Obviously, I'm not a, a professional boxer. That's something I will have to train for. But I think it'd be a really great fight. Juju Smith, shoes for my guest. All right, I mentioned you're working with Snickers and the Snickers Rookie Mistake of the Year program. Lay that out for me. What's it all about? Yeah, so today Snickers is launching the Rookie Mistake of the Year. The program rewards fans uh, during the NFL season to share examples of their rookie mistakes that they have made because maybe they just needed a Snickers. And there's been multiple times where me, myself, Juju Smith needed a Snickers 
because I've done some rookie mistakes. Uh, some of the rookie mistakes I've done was, you know, leaving my dinner at the facility after the game and going home with no food uh, because I'm doing interviews all day. Uh, but for the fans out there, hey, if you guys want to enter for Snickers, rookie mistake of the year, all you just have to do, it doesn't have to be football related. Fans can submit videos, image, text of their rookie mistake for a chance to win two Super Bowl tickets to go to SoFi in Los Angeles and possibly to rush the field. All you have to do is fans can head to SnickersRookieMistake.com and follow along using all hashtags, Snickers Rookie Mistake. So if you guys are out there and you think your team's going to make it to the Super Bowl and you want free tickets all season, during the regular season, just submit your videos, image, text of your rookie mistakes. That's how you handle that. He appeared courtesy of Snickers and the Snickers Rookie Mistake of the Year program. He is a pro bowler, Steelers wide receiver, Juju Smith-Schuster. Juju, appreciate you very much, man. Great job. Thank you for doing it. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, let me ask you something. Does this sound like you? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It is called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch all your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. What that means is no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again and the best part there is no annual contract it's brilliant so get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your tv together with direct tv stream you can learn more at directtv.com that's directtv.com compatible device required content varies by package so why don't we talk some nl west baseball starting with the dodgers not because I'm Dodger Jim, but because I want to talk about Mad Max for a minute. Because all Max Scherzer has done since joining L.A. is win. Win! 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 That's all win! this guy's done win! since coming here. Win! Entering yesterday's start against St. Louis, the Dodgers had won all six games that the three-time Cy Young Award winner had taken the bump for. And he posted a dominating ERA of 129. Honestly, though, those numbers, dominant as they were, actually were not good compared to what he posted yesterday. In fact, below not good. Below not good. You heard it correctly. The 1.29 ERA was below not good compared to what he did yesterday because Mad Max was on one. In his return home to Missouri. Go man on for Paul Goldschmidt. Got him. And it's up to Tyler O'Neill. Swung on and missed strike three. And that is strikeout number 200 on the season. Harrison Bader. Chases. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night for Max Scherzer to sit down Bader. Strikes out Newtbach. Check swing. He went around. Strikeout number 11 for Scherzer. The 0-2 pitch coming. Uh, he strikes out swinging. His one-two. A changeup disappears, and he's got 13 today. This guy was on one. In fact, he still is. Eight innings, no earned runs, 13 Ks. Absolute filth. Four-seamer, slide piece, change, cutter, curve, 
whatever you want. The cards could not touch it. This 37-year-old, 37 now, dealing, and it really was revolting. It was disgusting. It was nasty. It was dirty. It was filthy. It was disgusting, Max. And I mean all that in the best way possible. I mean, for real. Does this cat age? He's 37 and still filthy as hell. And now just six strikeouts from becoming the 19th pitcher in MLB history to record 3,000 for a career. And Cardinals fan, how badly does that sting? Your native son, a dude that I know most of you, hell, all of you, wanted at the trade deadline, and instead he comes home and he does that to you in a Dodger uniform. This guy ripped your heart out, stomped on it, and pushed you to three and a half back of that final wild card spot. In other words, uh-oh! Uh-oh! And these numbers are sickening. According to ESPN, Mad Max became the fourth pitcher in MLB history to have over 60 Ks and an ERA under one and a half in their first seven starts with a team. And again, doing this at age 37. Who are the other guys? Who are the only other guys in the history of the sport to do so? One, a dude named Garrett. Bring it on. No, Alvy, not that Garrett. Garrett Cole, not Ritt. And another dude, a dude named Unit. Don't be my face and don't talk back to me, all right? But I'll, I'll never not think that's funny. Get out of my face. Don't be my face and don't talk back to me, all right? I think he meant to say, get out of my face. Welcome to New York. Get out of my face and don't talk back to me. I don't know which part of that I like better. Him telling a photog to get out of my face. When there's nobody in the world who could get in this guy's face. He's like 8 foot 11. Who's in that guy's face? And quote, don't talk back to me. Don't talk back to me is an incredible thing to say to another adult doing their job. Don't get out of my face and don't, don't talk back to me. Don't talk back to me, all right? Get out of my face. Seriously. Was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar running camera? Who could be in that guy's face? Was it Shaq? Yao Ming? I mean, who? Who would be in that guy's face? Then you got Fernando. That's right. One of the other guys on that list. Fernando Mania. But if you all thought, no names mentioned, CJ the quitter. If y'all thought that I was just going to go all in on my praise for the Dodgers, giant fan, freaking settle down. Relax. You sound like a homer. I am not Dodger Jim. I am not a homer. And I'm not going to just gloss over what you did this weekend to the Dodgers. Not my Dodgers, because I do not root. And yes, John in Frisco, I'm glad that I did not take your bet on Friday. Then we go to San Francisco. John, what's going on, John? How are you? Hey, John. Hey, brother. How are you doing? Good, dude. You? Brother. Good, good. I want to see if you want to bet on the Giants game, Dodgers. The game or the series? Series. I'll go 500 bucks. best two out of three. Why don't we just make it ten grand, bro? Still an incredible call. And I think 
a first one ever. I'm not sure that anybody has ever called up and tried to get me to bet them straight up. I mean, John. Hey, John. I do hope you put that money down somewhere because you would have won. But you wanted my money, didn't you? You wanted to make a name for yourself at my behest, didn't you? Hey, love your team. You should. They're damn good. And they're an awesome story. I've got nothing but respect for the Giants, and especially the year they're having. And you know why that is? I don't give a damn. God, do I have to say this every single day on this show? I am not a homer. I am not a fanboy. I am not Dodger Jim. I don't give a damn. That's why I didn't bet you. And there's a million different places where you can put your money. Credit to your Giants taking two out of three from the Dodgers in a really intense series. I mean, if that's how that's going to go, if that's how intense that is in September, how hot is this thing going to get in October? I know John be calling me up, hey, 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 Roma, let's bet a million bucks. CJ will be quitting every single day. Imagine how hot that's going to get. Listen, Frisco, again, settle the hell down. I'm not taking your money. I'm not shoving our smog in your face. Or taking your water, I mean. I'm not saying to you, hey, man, look at the 405. Look at the traffic. I'm not talking about any of these things. I'm giving you credit. A hell of a statement on Sunday, for instance, beating Walker Bueller to get that series win. A dude who has been as filthy as Scherzer this season. A dude who absolutely has owned you, Frisco fan, your entire career. He had gone 7-0 and with an ERA of under 2 against the Giants, and then he had his worst performance of the season Sunday. You got to this guy. You touched him up. Six runs in three innings. I'm telling you, man, the Giants have nothing but my respect and admiration. They are tough, dude. They are gritty as hell. And by the way, I'm not the one you should be coming for. There are a lot of people who still are not respecting you waiting for you to fold your tent and collapse. I'm not one of those people. They're still on top of the NL West. And it's close. How close have these two played each other? The Dodgers have scored 80 runs. The Giants, 78. Let me just say this. And this does not make me a homer. And this does not make me a honk. I'm just saying this. I don't want to be the poop in your ice cream either, no cow. While you won that series and the season series, you know, and I know, that it's going to be a hell of a lot more difficult next month when you not only have to face Walker again, the odds-on favorite to win the NL Cy Young Award, but also the second choice in Mad Max. Because Max is getting stronger. And Max is already in his postseason red-ass Max mode. And it's not just those two. Julio Urias, who beat you Saturday, has got the most wins in the majors. So let me tell you something. There might not be a pinch of poop in that ice cream. Somebody may take a full dump in that ice cream. There's a bucket of poop and there's a bucket of ice cream. You can put all the ice cream in that poop that you want. It doesn't change it. But one little pinch of that poop in that ice cream Ruins that ice cream. And I'll tell a guy, you, my man, are the poop in our ice cream. Hey, Frisco, you, my city, are the poop in the ice cream. Or you got, you got an ice cream. 
In your ice cream. In your ice cream. Then again, listen. Frisco, don't twist what I'm saying. I'm not here to poop in your ice cream. I'm not here because somebody's got a big dump in their ice cream. It's not a shot at you guys. Could not respect the way your team has played this year and where you are right now. I'm just saying it's going to get harder. It's going to change. The climb is getting steeper. But I know how much you and John and CJ like your chances. And no, I'm not going to bet you on that series either if, in fact, that does happen, John. Series, I'll go 500 bucks, best two out of three. As I mentioned on Friday or Thursday or whenever that guy made that call, if I take your bet, then I've got to take everybody else's bets, and that's just not the way we do this. Although, John, I do see the Dodgers as the plus 125 favorite to win the National League. I do see your Giants as the third choice at plus 500. So maybe you should find that action yourself, Broham. Oh, and Cardinal fan. I'm not even going to get into your number. I don't want to upset you even more than you already are because you didn't get that guy who just turns you inside out. But your number is not good. Not good. But if you know cows want to come in here and talk a little bleep, go right ahead. Dodger honks. I mean, I know that you're above reacting to this or responding to it, all of you, except, I guess, Matt in L.A. No, Rome! You put the Matt in L.A. spotlight out. Now he's going to come. I don't know. He hasn't called much of late. Maybe he won't. The only Dodger fans on the show that really seem to care or react are Silk and Matt, which is good because you all love them both so much. But Dodger fan, if you want to come in and talk about what happened over the weekend, you go right ahead. I'm just here to tell you, as always, Giant fan hates Dodger fan way more than Dodger fan hates Giant fan. So Giant fan will come in here, unless Giant fan quit the show already. And I just said like five different ways how much I respect your team and the year it's having. You know what your problem is, Frisco? You only hear what you want to hear. You don't hear what I actually say. You hear what you want to hear. Man, you check him out. Dodger Jim, the honk, talking all that trash about us. Not at all. Only about a few of your fans, but definitely not your baseball team. You know why? I know what the hell I'm talking about. I pay attention. And I like what I see from them. It's a damn good series, man. Really competitive, really intense. Let's run it back. Let's do it again. And shock of all shocks, I don't give a damn who wins. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, don't make a shake. Don't eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and it's tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried, tough beef in a bag? Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, teriyaki, 
peppered, and hot and spicy. So next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for it in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper. What's your beef? I am talking about Ben Mesrick. Ben, what's going on? Great to have you back. How are you, Ben? Hey, Jim. Good to talk to you. I'm always psyched to come on first first day of a new book to come on your show. So this is awesome. I think I've been doing it for a decade now. That's incredible, Ben. It's one of my favorite things ever. I mean, it's so great to have you back on. So for those who do not know, and we've done this a lot, but how are you doing? How is life right now? And what does it feel like on publishing day? (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, this is a, an odd year, I think, for everybody, so it's not a normal publishing day. But, you know, when a book goes out into the world, it's it's always wild because you've been alone with it for so long. And I've wanted to tell this story to, to people um, for four months now. But this one's different because it came together so fast. And also because of, you know, the the lingering pandemic, book tours look different in this day and age. But seeing your new book out, I mean, it's just exciting. And I hope people people get it and read it and I want to start, you know, talking about it. So um, it's awesome. It's always awesome, but it's a little scary, too, because you never know how, how it's going to be received and what, what the fallout will be. It's going to kill like they all do. Ben Mesrick joining us. All right, so the book is called The Antisocial Network. It's about the GameStop short squeeze. I'll be honest, Ben, when that whole thing went down, I thought to myself, man, if ever there was a Ben book just waiting to be written, this is it. What were you current or what were you personally thinking when the GameStop short squeeze was going down? Yeah, I mean, so I've always kind of been into penny stocks, and I, you know that I'm a gambler at heart. So when it was all happening, I was watching along with everyone else, and I was like, this GameStop thing is insane, and the whole David versus Goliath idea of a bunch of people sitting on their couches using their stimulus checks to take down a Wall Street bank, it really did seem right up my alley, and I started getting tweets, and I started getting emails, all these people saying, you should be writing this. And and that's how it happened. It really was people on the Reddit board telling me, you've got to see what's going on here. And I started talking to people. And by the end of the week, I had this 14-page book proposal, um, which went and became a Hollywood auction for the movie. And so it, it all came together in like three days while it was happening. That's incredible. Um, and so I dove in, you know, head over heels. And I wrote this story in, in as it was going on. So it was a pretty wild experience. Ben Mesrick is joining us. So, Ben, if we were to back up a little bit and hit on a definition, for those who do not know, what is a short squeeze? Sure. So, you know, everyone knows what it's like to buy a stock and think it's going to go up. You buy it, you hope it goes up, and then you sell it. But if you believe a company is going to go down, you short it. And what that means is I borrow shares at whatever price it's trading at, I sell them onto the market, and I promise to return them at a later date. So if the stock goes down, I rebuy those shares at a low number, and then I return those shares, and I make the difference. But the problem with short selling is that if the stock starts to go up, there's an infinite amount of losses I can make, because you bought it, and you, know, you have to return it. Um, but if the stock goes all the way up to 100, you suddenly have to buy those shares back at 100. So the problem is, is everyone starts to buy that stock and the stock price goes up, all these short sellers get squeezed because they have to get onto the market, they have to find shares, and if it keeps going up and up and up, they can't get those shares and they can all go bankrupt. And that's essentially what happened. And it, it like piles in. It's all these people trying to get out of a little keyhole exit at the same time. The more people who are shorting it, the harder and harder it is to get out. That is a great explanation. Ben Mesrick is joining us. All right, so you've made the point that everybody was paying attention to GameStop in January of 2021. 
and you've got that book and it's out now, but how much of the whole situation has its roots in the crash of 2008, Occupy Wall Street, and more? Yeah, so I believe this all happened because we're all incredibly angry. There's this bubbling up anger towards Wall Street. It goes back to 2008 when all these people lost their jobs and everyone lost their houses, but it goes back to, like, Occupy Wall Street, which was a movement that didn't really work because, you know, who the hell wants to go sit in a park and picket J.P. Morgan? That wasn't the way to take down Wall Street. But this anger is here, and especially during the pandemic, we see people on Wall Street making millions of dollars while we're all sitting at home, people are losing their jobs. But Wall Street's doing just fine. And so I feel like there's this, there's this seething anger. And, and what happened was, as GameStop started to go up, and people realized that this could actually work, that, that the regular people could just use a few hundred dollars each and take down Wall Street, everyone kind of joined in. So I do believe it all goes back to 2008. And it just, you know, Wall Street has gotten away with so much for so long, and no one's ever been responsible when things go bad. And I think regular people wanted to, to win for once, and I think that's really what happened here. You know, people wanted to make money, too. Listen, let's not, let's not sugarcoat that part of it. Everyone has this gambling mentality. There were a lot of college kids on there. There were a lot of people who normally would be sports betting, but instead they were just betting on stocks. And, and then the whole Robin Hood part of it is the reason why it, it happened. But, but, yeah, I think it's anger. I think a lot of what, what piloted this was anger. And it's the same thing that sort of pushed politics, too. I mean, you could look at, you know, the way politics works today, and the most resonating emotion that drives anybody's vote is anger. <laughs> if you're mad at someone, that makes you do something. And I think that that really was what, what piloted this whole thing. Ben Mesrick is a New York Times bestselling author. He is a jungle legend. He's got a brand new book. It's out now, The Antisocial Network. Ben, you mentioned Robin Hood. So Robin Hood, how does Robin Hood and their app fit into all of this? Okay, so what happened was Robinhood created this app, which is basically handing into everyone's phone the ability to trade stocks just like a Wall Street trader. And they did it for good reasons. They believe they're kind of democratizing finance. Regular people should have the same tools as people who, you know, wear a suit and tie to work and, and work on Wall Street. But the reality is it sort of turned the stock market into a video game, gamification of, of the stock market. If you use the Robinhood app, and I don't know if you have, Jim, but basically it makes buying stocks really fun. <laughs> you know, you buy a stock, confetti goes off on your phone, um, you can sell it easily, you see these little graphs, and it's, it's like playing a game with your money. There's no fees, there's no minimum balance. You can open an account and almost instantly be just buying and selling stocks. So it kind of takes the place of all those online um, gambling things that used to be there, or that still are there, online poker, online sports betting, but it's actually the stock market. And in a lot of ways, what that does is it changes the stock market into some one giant casino. Now, I would argue, and a lot of people would argue, the stock market was already kind of a giant casino, but now that you've given millions and millions of people um, a way to get on and off it on their phone instantly while they're just waiting for a bus or whatever, it really, really did change the game. And so millions and millions of people could buy one or two shares of GameStop instantly. And that gave a power to something like Reddit, um, to something like Twitter, uh, but especially Reddit here. If a mob of people, a million strong, decides to buy a stock, that's as powerful as any Wall Street bank. And that's as much money as the biggest bank on Wall Street. And so that's really what happened here is Robinhood handed the tools to all the people. But what people didn't realize was that Robinhood, you know, sits at the center of, of this sort of network between us and Wall Street. And the people who use Robinhood aren't its customers, they're its product. 
And that's where it all kind of came to a head. Really interesting. Now, to answer your question on whether or not I have a Robinhood account, I do, Ben. Not only do I have the Robinhood app, but I got it the second you and I had our last conversation. I bought my Bitcoin with it. <laughs> so, I, so it's my fault. But I bet you've done well on that Bitcoin. Hell yeah, uh, man. When we were so- talking about Bitcoin, what was it at, like 7000 it was not, oh, I wish, but no, still, it was like 9,100 when I bought it after you and I had the conversation, and the clones were rushing in to absolutely crucify me for being the <laughs> dumbest guy ever. And even with the battering it's taking today, it's still like 46 now. So I mean, that's yes. what's funny. Is everyone gets mad and said, look, it's crashing, it's crashing. It's at 46,000 a coin. Right. I mean, when Bitcoin billionaires came out, it was $3,000 a coin. Name another asset, you know, other than GameStop, that's gone from 3000 to 46 thousand in a year. I mean, it's completely insane. But you know what? This is part of what my book, The Social Network, is about, is that people are no longer happy with making 10% on their money. People aren't even happy with doubling their money. Like, you tell someone, you give me $1,000 today, and I'll give you $2,000 next week, and that sounds great. But when you invest in a stock and it doubles, you don't sell, because you want 10x. You want 100x. And so people have gotten very, very greedy, which I agree with. Like, I get it, too. But, but we've all kind of no longer – we've all lost perspective in some degree. And I think Bitcoin and the crypto market has, has led to that. Also, these meme stocks has led to that. I mean, you look at what GameStop did, and it ran from a few dollars to $500 pre-market because of this crazy short squeeze. But it's still trading. I don't know where it is today, 200 somewhere in there. Um, which is completely insane still, but great, you know, if you're in it. Um, and when you look at these numbers, they're just not, they're not tethered to reality anymore, which is, which is part of the whole story. And yeah, no doubt. Hey, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. Ben Mesrick's joining us right now. Ben, you mentioned Reddit a couple of times. Let me ask you this. There is a subreddit called Wall Street Bets. For those who do not know, what is a subreddit and what was the Wall Street Bets subreddit like? Yeah, so Reddit is basically a free-for-all. I mean, it's this kind of thing where you can go on anonymously and you find communities that are, that are gathered around whatever it is you're interested in. So Wall Street Bets was a community gathered around stock trading, but it's different than any kind of stuffy stock trading, you know, bulletin board that used to exist or the kind of thing that Wall Street used to use. This is kind of a free-for-all of people who are willing to say just about anything, who are willing to post not only when they make money, but they post when they lose money. And so they were putting up pictures of their Robinhood accounts or pictures of their trading accounts showing massive losses or massive wins. And in that way, you know, you get kind of this excitement around not just winning, but also losing. And it kind of created this very large community. Now it's like 10 million strong of people who are talking about stocks, but in a way that I don't think people have ever talked about stocks before. And there's a lot of bad language. There's a lot of, you know, disturbing memes, and there's a lot of colorful imagery. Like when this all started to go down, you know, they compared the Wall Street Bank, which was Melvin Capital, to Chernobyl. And there was this video of them exploding like Chernobyl, things like that all over it, which are really, there's a lot of funny stuff in there. But deep down, there's also a lot of really good analysis. There's a lot of conspiracy theories. But when this was going down, these people 
on Reddit saw the short squeeze happening, and they realized the power that they had, and if they all held, you know, they call it diamond hands. If you just refuse to sell, you can really force these banks that were shorting GameStop to be in a lot of trouble, and that's, that's what really happened. So the Reddit community was this, it's this fun free-for-all of people who can post, you know, whatever they want around the topic. Um, and there's, there's, on Reddit, there's millions and millions of subreddits, so you can find whatever it is that you're interested in. But a lot of people gravitated towards Wall Street bets because they realized, you know, as a community, they could make a lot of money if they stuck together. So Ben Mesrick writes really, really interesting books, and then he releases them, and then he comes in the jungle on day one to talk about them, and that's what we're doing right now. The latest one is called The Antisocial Network. Ben, who is Keith Gill? What is his background? Where does he do his work from, and what does he wear at work? <laughs> yeah. So Keith Gill is at the center of this story. This is like a regular dude from Brockton, Mass. Brockton is like a working-class suburb of Mass. It's a, it's a very proud place, um, you know, where some famous athletes have come from. But it's not, like, upscale in any way. It's not Boston. It's, it's Brockton. And this guy basically, you know, went, was like the fastest kid in Brockton. He had won a lot of racing, uh, running races. Um, he was actually in Sports Illustrated once for having a four point, I think, oh two or oh three mile, and he was a fast kid. Um, had some injuries, so you know that kind of ended after college. And he was bumming around trying to get jobs. He really didn't have a good job. He ended up getting a brokerage license and working at um, a mass, uh, a Massachusetts brokerage, basically. And he fell in love with the stock GameStop. And so, out of his basement, he would do these YouTube videos, and he called himself Roaring Kitty on YouTube. On, on Reddit, he called himself, I don't know, are we allowed to say the F word here? <laughs> no, don't. Don't do it here. <laughs> okay, DFV. You can look up what it stands for. And, uh, and he, he started to post about GameStop. Now, at the time, GameStop was a pretty crappy company. Uh, I love GameStop. I spent my life going through those, those shelves in GameStop, but it's kind of a ridiculous company. I mean, they sell video game consoles and toys in the brick-and-mortar stores in malls. Um, in a time of digital, you know, and even though video games do really well, they never really pivoted to the whole digital thing. So they were basically selling consoles and, and you know, controllers and things like that. So it was, you know, it wasn't a stock that you would think is going to be worth like GE, you know, or Amazon. It was trading at a few dollars a share. Keith Gill bought $53,000 worth of GameStop and then started posting about it on Wall Street Bets. And, of course, he was harassed. Everyone was laughing at him. Everyone was saying, you're an idiot. Why would you buy this ridiculous stock? And then it started to come out that this major hedge fund called Melvin Capital was shorting it. And not just that, but the stock itself was shorted so much that 140% of shares, meaning more shares than exist, were short. So, so much shorting was going on. All of Wall Street was betting this company was going to go to zero. Um, that Keith Gill's long bet started to look interesting, and people started to gather around it. Incredible. Ben Mesrick joining us. So, Ben, for instance, when you wrote about the founding of Facebook, you were not just writing about the start of a company or a website. It was the start of a revolutionary change in communication. Does this then feel like the start of a revolution in finance? Yeah, I totally – so I try to write origin stories. I try to find, like, big topics and big stories that are going to resonate long after sort of the events I write about. And, and I do think what's going on on Wall Street with these meme stocks, what's going on in crypto um, with, like, Dogecoin, you know, and, and things that aren't really related to fundamentals, it's a 
important sea change going on in the way um, value works and in the way money works. And, you know, everyone's always said the stock market is a game, the stock market is a casino. But stock, the stock market and Wall Street was one of the few bastions of sort of institutionalized anything that kind of had resisted the move to online, the move to digital, the move to social networks. You know, we saw the music industry fall apart. We've seen uh, Hollywood change. We've seen entertainment change. Um, we've seen what's happened with Facebook. But Wall Street was still what it was, you know, 50 years ago. But suddenly everything is changing in that a community like a Reddit, you know, board or, or Twitter can actually move markets now. And the fact is that things, objects or stocks or, or forms of money are no longer tied to any fundamentals. You can't look at something like Dogecoin and, and say, well, the fundamentals are good, so the price should go up, right? You look at something like Dogecoin and say, it's completely meaningless. It has no use. It has almost unlimited supply, and yet the price is going up. And a similar thing kind of happened with GameStop. It had nothing to do with the fundamentals of that company. It had nothing to do with their pivot into digital or, you know, who was running the show or, or what, what its real value ought to be. It only had to do with this giant mob of people wanted it and liked the stock. I mean, that's the famous quote is, I like the stock. I think it was Jim Cramer who was shouting it. Um, but a bunch of other people were like, you know, I just like this stock. <laughs> and so people just bought it because they liked it. And, and that can move markets. And that's never happened before. You never had, a, a, in, in the history of sort of finance, the ability of a million regular people sitting on their couch watching, you know, Saved by the Bell could actually move Wall Street. And the reality is that can happen in an instant now. If someone on a Reddit board starts saying, you know, I like this stock, and enough people get behind it, it's as powerful as any Wall Street bank. And I think that's going to be going forward. It's going to change everything. When you look at Bitcoin, you look at crypto, and you try and figure out where that price is going. And the reality is, if we all agree it's going up, it's going up. Um, and that's something very different, I think, than 20, 30 years ago. I can tell you that not only do I know this to be true, I'm an example of the truth. Like, I'm looking at my Robinhood app right now. Ben, I've got this thing open, and I'm looking at what I own. I will, I've only got a few different types of stocks, and it's almost all crypto. I did buy the Bitcoin after you and I spoke, and then I added Doge, and I added Ethereum, and I added Coinbase. And I'm getting my ass kicked on a lot of those things, but not Bitcoin. It's a good thing that I bought some Moderna right around that same time. But the fact of the matter is what you're saying is true, and I'm a perfect example of it. So one last thought. what When we're talking about a revolution, how do you think that plays out? I mean, will the revolution then be about tendies and stonks? You know, I think that tendies and stonks are definitely going to be on the flag of the revolution. I do think that regular people have a, an opportunity now to, to make money and to take advantage of the size and the strength of a community in a way they never have before. At the same time, I think that Wall Street and the SEC and Congress are going to get more and more involved because the fear is, is that if this all falls apart, I mean, if the economy really can shift on the whims of, of regular people, it scares a lot of these banks and it scares a lot of the regulators because on the one hand, also, regular people can get hurt very easily. I mean, you can get swept up in this yeah. buy GameStop and not sell and hold it too long. And that can happen very easily. And without a certain level of, of savvy, a certain level of education, you know, you can get screwed very easily on these things. Uh, on the other hand, I do think that, you know, there's a fear that there's a conspiracy going on, that these Wall Street banks in the end will figure out a way to win. You know, Goliath usually wins, right? And so the scary thing is, you know, how does this all regulation all come down? I mean, does Robinhood get more regulated? Does, it, does short selling disappear? You know, because short selling is a whole other topic here. Is it ethical 
to bet on a business like GameStop going out of business? Is it ethical for me to make money out of your failure? And there's something that feels very wrong about that, especially during a pandemic, you know? Should I make money because this whole world is collapsing during a pandemic? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that, but I think there's a lot of questions to be asked. You know, to a point about Goliath, there is a great line in the book from Kim, one of the people who reads Wall Street Bets and invests in GameStop. She said, quote, Goliath thinks that he's the hero of the story right until the rock hits him in the face. So <laughs> th- there is that, too. The new yeah. book. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, so I was going to say, everyone thinks they're the good guy. So it's not like, you know, Robin Hood thinks it's the bad guy when it freezes trading. They thought they were freezing trading because they had no choice. And, and everyone thinks they're the bad guy because they did it. And similarly, Melvin Capital doesn't think they're the bad guy just because they're shorting GameStop. I mean, it made complete mathematical sense to short GameStop. And so, you know, Goliath really does think he's the hero of the story um, right until that. Yeah. All right. So the new book is out right now. It's called The Antisocial Network. It is a great, great read. Ben Mesrick, Ben, listen, you know it goes without saying I appreciate the friendship greatly, but I do really appreciate that you always make it a point that when that book drops, we are always one of your very first, if not your very first stop, and I appreciate that so much, Ben. Thanks so much, and congrats on another great effort. I appreciate that your listeners are the people who put me on the bestseller list every time. And so whenever I go on your show, you know, your listeners go out and buy it. And I, I think you guys, it's a great, great sort of community that you've built, you know. And uh, listen, I'll come on your show first for every book I ever write. It's, it's my favorite stop on the tour. If you ever stopped at a railway crossing and the signals are flashing and you don't see the train or it appears to be moving slowly and you're thinking maybe you can get across the tracks before the train comes. Think about this. Even if the engineer sees you and applies emergency brakes right away, it can take a train over one mile to stop, over a mile to stop. By that time, it's too late, and the resulting crash will be deadly. Stop. Trains can't. Paid for by NHTSA. You know, I usually do not talk UConn football in this program. In fact, the last time I talked UConn football, Bob Diaco was talking about energy vampires and werewolves. And it was pretty awesome. But these days, if I'm talking UConn football, it's probably for the wrong reason. And in this case, it's actually for, well, I don't want to say the wrong reason. I want to say the worst reason, but also the best reason both. Because UConn football had itself a weekend. In fact, UConn football has had itself a month. No, UConn football has had itself a couple of years. Now, by way of background, UConn did not play last year due to COVID at all. It's not a figure of speech or an expression. It's a fact. They did not play last year. In August of last year, they canceled their season and they announced that they would not play football at all in 2020. And I get that. There was a pandemic going on. You don't know how that's going to go, and you want to be careful when it comes to the health and the well-being of the players and the coaches and everybody around the program, so they did not play last year. My thing is, you didn't play last year, and I respect it, but the hell did you do last year? Exactly what were you doing last year? Because it sure as hell wasn't anything that made them a better football team. Because in week zero, they dropped a total zero. Literally, came out to the West Coast, and they lost their season opener 45 nothing to Fresno State. In other words, uh-oh, uh-oh, having somebody drop nearly a half a hundred on you is always going to be bad. 
But it's even worse when you have not played a game in more than 600 days. Like you had 600 days to get ready for that game and still got shut out and still nearly had somebody drop a half a hundy on you. It's a long time to wait to play a football game. 600 days. 3,000 miles is a long way to travel to play a football game. But waiting 600 days and then traveling 3,000 miles to get the hell knocked out is not good. As always, below not good. Below not good. But, you know, I guess that could happen. Fresno State, as we know, is building a bully in Central Cali. UConn absolutely had some rust that they had to knock off. Plus, UConn head coach Randy Edsel had a plan. And the plan was have a great, a great week of practice, work out the kinks, and then take your pain out on an overmatched Holy Cross in the home opener. Holy Cross is an FCS school. So if ever there was a time for UConn to get right, it was Saturday. Except UConn got it all wrong. Again. Wrong. Holy Cross 38, UConn 28. So they didn't just lose to an FCS school at home. They got embarrassed by an FCS school at home. Nothing fluky about it either. UConn got kneecapped by Holy Cross. Holy Cross. Holy crap. How does that happen? Even a Huskies linebacker, Jackson Mitchell, said, quote, it's embarrassing anytime somebody comes to your field and they dance in the middle of your field after they beat you. Yeah, I would consider that embarrassing. End quote. Yeah, hell yes, that's embarrassing. I don't have a single tie to that program or that school, and I'm personally embarrassed. Like, I wouldn't want to show my face in public after that game, and I'm talking about my face. I don't have a single thing to do with that school. Other than my profound love of Khaled El Amin back in the day. The only good news was the UConn Stadium was pretty much empty. So at least there weren't that many fans who were embarrassed in person. But they were on television. And they weren't just on any television. They were right here on CBS Sports Network. And my guy Ross Tucker was on the call for some of the Holy Cross magic. Answer rolling out. Pressure comes deflected and intercepted by Holy Cross. Jason Modak in the right spot at the right time and rumbling down for the touchdown. And the Crusaders with the pick six and the score. Big man touchdown. Yes, I love big man touchdowns. My man, Ross. Ross Tucker is so good. And if you need more, here it is. Off play action, over the middle, intercepted. John Smith back across midfield and taken down at the UConn 47-yard line. Another turnover by Zergiotis and UConn. Haynes brought Smith down, but Holy Cross is feeling it. Holy Cross, more like holy cow. I'm telling you, when you lose like that at home with Ross Tucker in the building, you better do something about it. You've got to do something. And on Sunday, head coach Randy Edsel did, the, did that thing. 
He released a statement, and I quote, After 17 years of service at the University of Connecticut as its head football coach, I've decided to retire at the end of the season. Back in 2017, I made a commitment to the university, but felt it was better to make this announcement now rather than the end of the year to allow the university ample time to prepare for the future of the football program. All my focus and attention for the rest of the season will be to prepare our players and coaches to go out and win as many games as possible. End quote. Yeah, uh, no. That's weird. That's a little weird. Actually, that's a lot weird. How bad are things if you're quitting before Labor Day? When he announced that, we hadn't even gotten through the end of week one. And this guy was already bailing. But not quite yet. Because he wants you to know he is quitting. He will quit after the second game of the season. But he's not going to actually leave until after the season. Like, you can't fire me. I quit. But I'm going to quit in three months. So just know that I am leaving, but I'm here until after Thanksgiving. So you go ahead. You pencil me in for that Christmas party. No way I'm missing that. No way do I miss Secret Santa. That's weird. In a normal work environment, it is customary to give your employer two weeks notice. Maybe more. But nearly three months notice? And on top of that, incredibly, the school was actually good with that? Apparently they were because the AD released a statement praising him and saying that they would start a search for a new head coach. So, Edsel quits on Sunday, but effective late November. And then the school comes back yesterday and releases a new statement that they and the coach came to, quote, the mutual decision, end quote, that he should leave right now. In other words, oh, excuse me, my bad. Excuse me, my bad. I meant that I'm quitting today. And I'm not going to wait until November. He's done now. Immediately. As of yesterday. And the D coordinator is taking over. So that thing went from weird to really, really weird. And if you're wondering how the news that he was quitting at the end of the season went down in the locker room, I guess you have your answer. Like, what player is going to be cool with a head coach who announces he's quitting at the end of the year, but does it months in advance. We're not talking about Coach K here, right? We're not talking about Coach K announcing that he's going to retire at the end of next season. Randy Edsel is not taking a victory lap to bask in the glow of everything that he's accomplished. He said he was quitting after getting blown out by Fresno State and then blown out by Holy Cross. He quit on Sunday... And then he really quit yesterday. And I'm guessing that I don't need to be a fly on the wall or even have sources inside that UConn locker room. But I'm guessing he made that sudden U-turn because the players essentially told him, man, you can hit the bricks right now, coach. You want to leave? Cool. Go now. And if that's what they did, they're right. Like, you don't want a player who's not all in. No coach would tolerate a player who's not all in. So there's no player that wants a coach who's not all in. If something's worth doing eventually, do it immediately, right? You can't quit in September and then stay through the end of November. If you're quitting now, quit now. Pack your bags. I don't think UConn could come up with anything more embarrassing than getting shut out by Fresno State and then losing the Holy Cross at home, but they did. Pretty tough to come up with something more embarrassing than that. That's not easy to do, and then they did.
So congrats. You can take a victory lap for that if you want. Holy cross, more like holy cow. More like holy crap. That That is a weird, weird deal. I, I mean, I quit in November, but I'm quitting today. Oh, okay. Stay as long as you want. Yeah, I may, I may take it all back. I may not quit at all. No, if you quit, you quit. If you quit, just leave. Let's go to Lincoln, Nebraska, see what's up. Tyson in Lincoln. Tyson, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Rome? Good, dude, good. So, hey, Rome, I just want to run something by you real quick. Uh, I don't know if you caught the BMW Championship over the weekend, but uh, my personal take on this was that it is uh, very clear that John Rahm was a better golfer than Patrick Cantley this entire season. Patrick Cantley made more money over the last weekend than he has over the course of his entire CCA career. And I guess the point that I'm getting at here is when you think of the Masters, you think of the U.S. Open, those are much Did I say that it was Tyson in Lincoln? If I did, I misspoke. It was actually Tyler in Lincoln. The last time Tyler called, I took his phone call and I introduced him to the audience as Tyler in Lincoln. He tried to correct me by telling me his actual name. The one that's on his birth certificate. I don't give a damn about that. My call screener said to me, your name is Tyler. So you roll with that and you show up here and you just assume the name. I thought we covered this last time. It sounded like this. To Lincoln, Nebraska. Tyler. It's good to have you, Tyler. How are you? It's good. It's uh, it's actually Tyson Rome, but... uh, No, it is not. Yeah, no, it's not. Tyler, Tyson, Trevor, Travis. Just next time you call, just say you're Tyler. Okay, so that next time was just now. And notice what he did not do. He did not say he was Tyler. Tyler, it's not that hard, bro. It's not that hard. I said that gloss is something to be earned and awarded and given out on this show. You cannot self-gloss. I don't need you self-glossing as Tyson. And don't be waving your birth certificate around here or getting your mother or father to call and say, nope, no, Rum, that's true. His name is Tyson. We were there. We named him. Yeah, well, you know what? We renamed you, bro. The jungle has renamed you. And the jungle, in and of itself, will always take precedent over a birth certificate. The hell is a birth certificate? That's not worth the paper that's written on. The jungle is forever. All right, so my man, that's two strikes. Three strikes and you're out. Next time you call Ty, you show up as Tyler. That's just how it goes around here. Good night now!